Well, it is so good to be home. The uh, Bryan family has enjoyed uh, both productive and pleasurable travel, beginning with an appointment in Spangle at the Upper Columbia Conference camp meeting through a series of other spots along the way, culminating last weekend with our faculty and students at the Rosario Beach Marine Laboratory, where last Sabbath we endured an oppressive 64 degrees. Today's sermon is going to be different than the norm. In fact, we are going to employ something that has happened a couple times over the last six years, usually about this moment in the summer. First, this sermon is different in that it is a conversation for insiders. It is a healthy thing for a church family, like all families, to have conversations. And so for those who are not part of the Adventist family, whether you are here in this sanctuary or watching somewhere around the world, we invite you to pay attention for much can be learned by observing families, even having internal conversations. Secondly, those of you who are regulars here will notice the absence of projector and screen in favor of lectern and manuscript. And so I will invite you to apply patiently and carefully your auditory listening skills today, for I think from time to time it is good for a pastor to engage the congregation to chew on something in a little bit different manner. So do not fear in the days to come, projector, screen, and freedom from these tools will be had again. The summer of 2015 has been a season of historic importance for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. July's steeple rang two bells, alerting those of us who care about the church to stop our routine ruminations and to assemble our communion into a new period of thoughtful and prayerful conversation about the future of our 153-year-old denomination. The first bell rang at our recent general conference session in San Antonio, Texas, revealing a global growing church intention. Our assembled representatives experience significant dispute over how church governance can best be designed and deployed in a vastly expanding international congregation, how theologians ought to best articulate doctrinal propositions, which methods of biblical interpretation serve our understanding of Scripture most faithfully, and most notably, they engaged in an emotionally charged debate about the presence of women in pastoral ministry. These intra-church quarrels have left much of the world church, including this local parish, stressed, wounded, confused, searching. I'm acutely aware through numerous conversations with current students 
recent graduates and other young adults of the pre-existing fragile commitments too many have in relationship to the church. This summer has added additional strain. My pastoral heart is weighted with somber concern. As the senior pastor of this local congregation and of this university campus, let me offer a brief word of personal intent. It is my purpose to remain a faithful, committed, energetic Seventh-day Adventist. I believe first and foremost in God the Father, in His Son Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit, and in the church our God has called into being to do healing, redemptive work in our fractured world. I am resolute in a desire to participate in the ongoing journey of the church, both globally and locally. I am committed to the conversation and to continual reform that the church might be faithful and fruitful in its mission, which is, above all, to be and to become in greater measure the body of Christ. To this end, on the matter of women in ministry in particular, I am all in on the long and righteous campaign, an arduous work that has now gone on for some 2,000 years to realize the vision of Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The Christian church, Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant, remains tragically tardy in realization of this vision of oneness, where all are servants. None are masters. And both men and women are valued as reflectors of our Creator's image. To pastors Lois Blackwelder and Jennifer Ogden, and to all the women of this congregation, we will purposefully, prayerfully, and passionately continue to support women in professional ministry and gift blood, sweat, and tears until you are fully honored and celebrated as human beings who have heard and responded to the call of God. A second bell rang this summer, which beyond the events of July 2 through 11 in Texas would alone signal the summer of 2015 as significant. Just five days after the close of the global general conference gathering on Thursday, July 16, 2015, the church marked the 100-year anniversary of the death of Ellen G. White. Perhaps it is hard to believe, but nevertheless, it is true. We Adventists have now entered the second century since the burial of our denomination's prophetic visionary. And so it seems absent anything noteworthy from the general conference session. This moment in time is an appropriate one, a critical one, just 17 days fresh into the second post-prophet century 
to consider the meaning of being a Seventh-day Adventist. And it is especially the most expansive questions that should be asked by all of us who care for the Adventist tribe and care for our children's ongoing participation in it. What are some of these big questions? What was and is the purpose of being an Adventist? What should be our purpose in the future? What made and makes our work unique? What should give us distinction in the days to come? If we remain a movement, in what ways must we move? If we remain a dynamic church, ever seeking present progressive truth, where are the places we must innovate? In what ways ought the new post-prophet century resemble the last one? And in what ways might the new century, if the church is to be healthy and alive, grow in new ways? Put simply, as we move forward, waiting for Jesus to return, how can we in the present moment pursue an even more abundant Adventism? Perhaps a good place to begin this exploration is with the single verse of Scripture, which Adventists have long held as the identity statement of the denomination. Revelation 14, 12. This is how the text reads in the King James Version. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Adventists have said from the early days of our movement until today, this is our mission. This is who we are. We are they that keep the commandments of God. Two important questions are apparent with this claim. First, what are the commandments of God? And second, what does it mean to keep them? First, to the question of the meaning of the commandments of God. Historically, Adventists have insisted upon this idea. We have been called to keep all, not some. Let me repeat that. The core understanding of the early Advent assembly is that they, though small in number, were invited by God to offer a reminder to the universal Christian church that all, not some, of God's commandments are to be obeyed. All, not some. Adventists spilled much ink in print and wore out more than a few horses on the road preaching this message. All, not some. And as you might know, particular focus was given in preaching and practice of the fourth of the ten Sinai commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Don't forget the Sabbath was, is, and shall continue to be a cry of Seventh-day Adventists. Here are they that keep not some, but all the commandments of God. So, does all include the premier command of God to Adam and Eve, that they must be good caretakers of the earth, that they, that we must cradle the land, the water, the air, and the sky, that we must nurture the forest and fields, the animals of ground, the birds of air, the fish of rivers, lakes, and seas? Does all include a robust Genesis 1, 28 through 30 style environmentalism where we discover the very first health message 
Human beings commissioned by God to keep the earth healthy, and when we fail to nurse it back to health, does all include in our post-fall reality a radical commitment to serve the poor among us? Does all include a faithful and generous response to the thousands of verses in Scripture which compel us, complete with dire warnings for our failure to comply, to share, to sacrifice, to bring the less fortunate fully to the table of fellowship? Does all include a dramatic reversal of the ravages of sin upon our experience of community? Does all include the rich thesis of Jesus, which teaches us to bring wealthy and wanting, Gentile and Jew, boy and girl, boomer and millennial, liberal and conservative, all into a position of equality in Christ? Does all include the command to forgive even our enemies, even ISIS? and to love those we disagree with, even those who vote a different way? Does all include the greatest commandment of Christ, agape? Does all include the ethical rigors of His Sermon on the Mount? Does all include the rich moral lessons housed in the tales of Torah? Does all include the wit and wisdom of the Proverbs? Does all include the penetrating social critique of the prophets? Does all include worship of the exalted Christ so richly described in the writings of Paul? Does all include both the Ten Commandments and the countless promptings of the Spirit which are new every morning? I think the answer to each and every one of these questions is yes. The invitation of Revelation 14:12 is to appreciate and to absorb all of the Creator's good wisdom on how to live well on the earth which He created. This is our Father's world. And so, the mission of Adventism is a right, a celebration of the whole of God's revelation from A to Z. This mission, of course, includes a reminder of the significance of Sabbath-keeping, but it goes far beyond this important but singular concern. All Not Some invites the church to envision a contemporary world where the totality of God's wisdom and will is built into practice Board by board, nail by nail, wall by wall, truss by truss, shingle by shingle, window by window, and relationship by relationship therein. Here are they that keep the commandments of God is not about small-time habits of piety. Rather, it portends massive epic dreams for our terrestrial ball. At the dawn of this new post-prophet century, could it be that Adventism must now expand its commandment focus, asking fresh, provocative, even seismic questions about new relevant territory both the church and the world ought to explore? Does God have timely wisdom for humankind and for the whole of creation that we might today enjoy abundant life? Could it be that we Adventists need to imagine an even larger commandment mission where we dare to obey God's clear commands that we labor, for example, 
to beat modern-day swords into modern-day plowshares, and that we resolve to hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees. Adventism, in these early moments of its second post-prophet century, has a chance to cherish and champion the abundant life produced by a positive response to God's rich and rewarding commandments. We have opportunity to enlarge the map, playing in a more expansive redemptive geography where thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a truly comprehensive campaign. The church's mission then is nothing short of turning the world right side up. This is the church our young people are longing for. A church that connects God to the most pressing problems in the world. A church that connects God to the most exciting opportunities in the world. We need a bigger vision of commandment keeping. If we are first then prompted to a broader vision, all not some, we are secondly invited to deepen the intensity of our reaction to God's law. Revelation 14, 12 tells us that we can be keepers of the commandments of God. What does this mean? John utilizes the Greek verb tereo in this verse. This verb, which means to keep, appears throughout the literature of antiquity, and we also find it 71 times in the New Testament in various forms. It is used 38 times of human beings keeping the commandments of God, keeping the word of Jesus, or keeping ethical living in view, but it is also used in other ways, which reveal its meaning to us in higher resolution. Nineteen times the word is used of God and the protective way he keeps us close to him, keeps evil at bay, and keeps faithful watch over our salvation. Eleven times we find the word in description of the work of professional guards. These are men who have been given the responsibility to keep watch over prisoners and ensure that inmates do not escape. These wardens are employed as jail keepers. In addition, we find in the New Testament a single yet notable reference in Ephesians 4.3 telling us that Christians are to keep the peace. Peace is something that is to be carefully guarded. And then we find two most powerful uses of the word housed in two remarkable stories in the gospel written by John, who is in all likelihood also the author of the book of Revelation. We first discover in John 2.10 that guests of a wedding feast make public comment about the superior wine miraculously created by Jesus. The King James Version translation reads, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. The verb here for kept is tereo, the same word used in Revelation 14, 12. 
In this story, the guests believe Jesus has carefully preserved, judiciously guarded, faithfully cherished, religiously protected this valuable beverage for just the right moment. Jesus has kept this exquisite wine. John tells a second remarkable story in John 12, 7, where we also discover Tereo. Here we find Jesus explaining the action of a woman who anointed his body with perfume. Again from the King James Version, Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. Jesus gives significance to the actions of this woman, acknowledging the consequential expense involved in the purchase of the perfume. He notes the careful guardianship of the precious liquid and its timely and generous use. The woman has kept this priceless fragrance. Tereo is a verb freighted with meaning. To recap, it is a word used for a soldier who diligently acts as custodian of a valuable prisoner, for a God who passionately shepherds our salvation, for Christians who work as conscientious guardians of peace, for a Jesus who perfectly possesses the best wine, for a sinful woman who lovingly cherishes a valuable perfume. So back to our text. Keeping, keeping the commandments of God certainly includes obedience. But there percolates far more here than mere pedestrian acquiescence to certain biblical laws. We taste and said the passion of David in Psalm 119, I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. We smell instead the passion within the parable of the treasure hunter, Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Keeping the commandments is about jealously collecting, housing, maintaining, and sharing precious cargo. Keeping the commandments of God, all of them not some, is about a full life, heart, mind, soul, strength commitment to the vision of the Spirit God for the material world we call home. An abundant, commandment-focused Adventism goes well beyond coldly declaring the seventh day of the week is actually the Sabbath and that we better show up for church at 11 a.m. Those who keep the commandments as delicious wine and delicate perfume recognize the out-of-this-world taste and smell that the words of God can bring to life a fresh, abundant life for all creation. As the psalmist declares, let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. A second word, though, is an order about the nature of keeping. There is, as it turns out, Meaning carried by the act of tereo beyond holding on to what is in your possession. Aristotle, in his book History of Animals, utilizes tereo in making the following observation about a spider, her web, and prizes to be captured. He writes, 
it, the spider, always builds its web over hollow places inside of which it keeps a watch on the threads until some creature gets into the web and begins to struggle when out the spider pounces. In this illustration, the meaning of keep is not only a focus on guarding possessed treasures, but on searching for treasures beyond. We see this so clearly with Jesus, who keeps watch in unexpected places. He spins a web capturing those outside the faithful remnant of Israel who are keeping God's commandments. A Roman centurion, a Samaritan adulteress, a Samaritan businessman on a trip, a corrupt tax collector at his booth. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven will be populated with commandment keepers from east that is, from Babylon, the land of captivity, and also by commandment keepers from the West, that is, from Egypt, the land of bondage. There are, Jesus says, those who cherish the will and wisdom of God who hail from unexpected places. For Jesus, who perfectly kept the commandments of God, the work of living as a keeper of the commandments included not only protecting what was held already by Israel, but being on the lookout for what others, the outsiders, might have as well. What might this mean for Adventists at the starting line of the second post-prophet century? Could it mean that we should not only be faithful curators of the rich theological artwork that the artist has given us, but that we must also be on the lookout for other masterpieces, created by the same master which he has entrusted to other museums, to other curators? Could it mean that we should play the inspired music the Adventist symphony has been given, say, if you will, Beethoven's Fourth Symphony, but that we must also have ears to hear the first through third and fifth through ninth symphonies as well, which may be played by other orchestras, might it be good to ask, where else is God composing? Where else is God conducting? What might happen to us and to our world if we followed the advice of experts on human relationships? What if we heeded that old yet reliable rule that each negative comment must be balanced with five or six positive comments? What if we practiced a new denominational rule that Adventism will make only one negative judgment about the world for every five or six positive judgments? In other words, what if we became a prophetic people not only of correction, but of celebration? What sort of influence might we have in the world as salt and light working to bring out the rich flavors and bright colors that are already there? What might happen if we started fanning the flames of a welcome wildfire with explanations like, hey, look, you over there, you are so powerfully reflecting the image of God. I wonder, what if Adventists took on the work of spiders? spinning webs with the intent of capturing what is right and noble about the world? What would happen if we started to celebrate atheists fighting disease in Africa, 
Catholics feeding the hungry in India, Presbyterians preaching the gospel in New York, and Quakers waging peace wherever they are. What if Adventists became known as peerless proponents of the work of God in the world, not only through our own commitments, but in the ample applause that we render to others who are keeping His commandments as well? I grew up in the hills of Appalachia, big quilting country. And most famous, perhaps you've heard of them, remnant quilts. Do you know that term, remnant quilts? These crafts are as described, beautiful tapestries of leftover remnant material stitched into magnificent creations. There are these artists who have been given a talent, a calling, a unique identity, and they believe their purpose in the world is to craft these marvelous remnant quilts. These women and men have great eyesight. They can see a remnant here, a remnant there, here a remnant, there a remnant, everywhere a remnant. Blue, red, yellow, green, old, new, corduroy, lace, denim, silk, plaid, paisley, solid, and striped. All sorts of potential they see. Loads of yet-to-be-celebrated cloth out there ready to find place in the mosaic masterpiece. This is the work of remnant quilters. What might this approach do for Adventism? What if we became remnant quilters? What if instead of simply looking to ourselves as God's faithful fabric, we began to play the role of treasure hunter? What if we started to bless the world by naming other threads which are beautiful, which are godly? A thousand business books render the same conclusion. There are basically two kinds of leaders. First, there are leaders who make it all about themselves. Look at me, model me, serve me, work for me. I'm a great leader. I've been called to lead you. And over time, these leaders tend to have very little and diminishing influence. But then there lives a second sort of leader. These are leaders who are servants first. Leaders whose vocation is telling everyone else what they are doing right, what they are capable of. These better leaders are always on the lookout for great work, acknowledging co-workers and employees who are doing great things. And over time, these leaders tend to have significant and growing influence. I wonder, what sort of impact might our church realize if we chose this second approach to leadership? What impact might Adventism enjoy in the days to come if we refuse to heed those fearful voices crying shark, which too often scare the church out of the world's waters and onto an isolated shore where we safely and fecklessly live out our days as distant observers of the sea? Oh, how might we more faithfully fulfill our mission if we dare the open waters, joining the work God is doing beyond the shorelines, all the while challenging, clarifying, and celebrating toward more perfect obedience and reflection of God's imagination. 
Let's start from the beginning. The church bell has rung twice this summer. First, the events of July have made us more acutely aware of the growing pains and aging pains of our church. Second, we Adventists now recognize that we are in the first days of the second century after the passing of our founding mother, Ellen White. The time seems ripe, therefore, for a fresh conversation about ways that we can become even more abundant, about how we can better fulfill our mission in the mornings to come until that glorious morning when Jesus returns. In fact, such a conversation seems critical if the church is to capture the imagination of the next generation. Our children are at stake. And so we go back to that signature verse of Scripture, Revelation 14, 12, to discover that commandment keeping is all, not some. This prompts our embrace of an expanded understanding of the church's mission. Now the gospel we preach becomes even better news, for God is allowed through the church to speak and act with heightened relevance. And when our students discover a pertinent church, they become passionate about it. That's it. Pertinence is the mother of passion. And passion is precisely that fuller experience of keeping, going on mere obedience, Keeping becomes an irresistible attraction for the good things of God as valued treasures to be protected, to be cherished, to be celebrated. And this leads us to that frightful but fantastic practice of commandment keeping, which includes not only what we have been tasked to protect, but also to be on the hunt for where God has stored other treasures. We are both keepers of treasure and treasure hunters, and so we are ready to call attention wherever we find God impulses at work, we are affirming prophets as well as doing the work of correction, identifying not only where the world is wrong, but much more often at least five or six times to one where the world is right. We are remnant quilt makers, enjoying a now enlarged labor, stitching together all the pieces of what God is up to in the world. We are servant leaders, skillfully encouraging the rest of humanity wherever we see bits and pieces of beautiful commandment-keeping a flame on the earth. My fellow Adventists, our opportunity at the dawn of this new moment, in spite of its challenge, is to explore rich, fresh, biblical possibilities, fully faithful to our unchanging call to be keepers of the commandments of God. Amen.